Oh, I love this movie. I haven't seen it. You haven't seen this movie? <laughs> Guys, to So I Married a Cinephile. I am Ben Farmer. And I am Megan Carver. And it has, it's been a minute, as it's the been, kids say. It's, it's the kids say. Mm-hmm. It's been a dog's age. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, because so we, of course, are here at Anchor Studios. Yes, thank which you, Which is wonderful and amazing. Uh, and because they have become so popular and because other people are wanting to utilize the space, now they are asking that people who are utilizing the space to come every other week, every other week, as opposed twice to every a month week. versus yeah. four times right. a month, which I think is good. I in totally the agree. Sense that life is probably about to get a lot busier with the holidays coming. Sure. Ah! Oh my god! Um, God knows our lives are busy enough. Right. So it gives us a little bit more breathing room as far as. Not only our research, but like being able to watch the movie in a timely manner. Sure. And get it. And then like live our lives. And live our lives at the same time. Because, and Megan's mentioned this before, that a lot of the post-production, you know, it takes a lot of time. Yeah, it takes me about, it's about, I think it's every 10 to 15 minutes takes an hour to edit. Yeah. So it's about three to four hours extra work outside of this. Yeah, so outside it's of recording nice. and then watching the movie as well. Right. So it's it's kind of nice to do every other week. So since opinion. it's been a little bit, mm-hmm. how are you? What's going on with you? I am having trouble recalling what has been happening <laughs> in the last so couple tired. of weeks because I am, I'm hanging on. <laughs> like I'm the, I'm the little kitten on the telephone wire on that poster. Hang in there, baby. <clears throat> so... The uh, work has been very busy. Again, all good things and not even just row house related. Like I've had a lot of really good appointments lately and we finished up this rowing competition, you know, everything in between of what it is to live in New York and be an artist. And so everything has kind of added up (laughs) over the last three days or so. I feel like I haven't gotten more than four and a half consistent hours of sleep each night. <laughs> well, some of that, to be fair, though, is not because you're not getting to bed. It's right. because our dog wakes us up. Yes, he does. At three in the morning because he wants to be let up into the bed. Right, right. So there's that. Um, but no, life is good. I'm just I'm having trouble like marking any monumental moments over the last couple of weeks. So How maybe you can this? help me out with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, sure. You <laughs> had so you had two auditions the last time that we recorded with mm-hmm. Lindsay Brooks. Mm-hmm. Hi Lindsay. Hi Lindsay. Um you had another audition yesterday. Yeah. yeah. You also had a staged reading for Queen right. Elizabeth. Yes. Uh by who was Queen it Elizabeth did not attend this stage reading. She didn't. I feel like she was not to, available. Um it was a play by Maxwell Anderson, Maxwell Anderson. entitled uh Elizabeth the Queen. Mm-hmm. Uh, based on the later life of Queen Elizabeth I, uh, I got to play one of the lead roles. You were so good. Thank you. You were so good. Um, a lot like, of really guys, good actors. I'm going to stop. Hang on. We're just going to stop for a second. Okay. Yes, I love my husband because he's a wonderful person and he's very nice and he kisses really good. But also, he's one of the most talented people. Like watching him do something that is so in his wheelhouse that he's passionate about just is a fucking delight to watch Mm. you work and do something that you love so much. Like not only was I just like super admired you, but I was massively turned on at how talented you were. Not a dry seat in the house. (laughs) Where the audience was like me and then a bunch a of bunch dance of coach shoes and 
like OPB radio. I love how NPR was, radio canvas this, bags. Were, were they this Indian couple who came and just sat right, right next, next to me? You. you know, it wasn't like hard and to find seating. Of seats. And they, they just sat right and, next to and me. And they were, and they sounded perfectly nice. Oh yeah, they were very. It nice. was just really funny to witness these two people come in mm-hmm. and like find the back of your head. They plop down, not just like that subway buffer oh, seat that we have. Let's see, where should we? Her. Her. There. We're going to sit right there. On the New York subway, there's that buffer seat that yeah. if you can, you don't want to sit directly next no, to somebody. No, you sit on side, side to side and you leave the middle as a buffer. Right, That's right. just what you, you do. You leave that safe space, yeah. I guess. They didn't. They skipped right over that rule. They yeah. just went for it. No, they so. were they were very much like, well, that brunette looks safe. Let's <laughs> sit next to her. Uh, it was held uh, by a company called First Flight Productions. They work specifically with bringing... Uh, not new works, but maybe abstract plays that people may not have heard of, sure. authors and playwrights that people may not know, and bringing some of their work out into the limelight. They're actually going to do a trilogy of plays by Maxwell Anderson. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Good. Thanks, Amda, for <laughs> turning me on to Shakespeare. Yay. Yay. I feel like it's a really good direct correlation considering all of the, like, Bible scripture and stuff that you had to memorize the these as a and kid. And like you're just like, oh yeah, it's just, but it's like it's scripture. But people are like murdering each other and having sex with their mothers, and you know. Wait, are you talking about the Bible or the play? I don't know. Yeah, because that's what I'm both saying. Both of those things. That's what I'm both. saying. Right. So it's just. <laughs> I a think natural Abraham project screwed his like housekeeper or something, sure. and then Old Testament God loved to kill people under his he eye. He was vengeful. Yes. <laughs> Um, what about you so i had one very fun thing happen uh on wednesday that was two days ago (laughs) we're both like what's today what is october whose pants am i wearing today's october October. (laughs) um so on wednesday on wednesday i had a chance to uh actually sing with a cabaret called actoria and it takes place out in astoria queens Mm -hmm. um at this little place called bean and lager which is a super cute restaurant uh but they have this little stage set up and you had the option of singing anywhere between one to three songs and i sang three um and i've been used to in the past in performing at cabarets I've been used to like, you know, it needs to be super polished. You need to be wearing like that jewel tone, A-line dresses, Mm. and everyone's just just perfect and looks like they're about to walk into an audition at uh, Telsey. Yeah. This was not that. (laughs) It was more fun than anything. And like, you know, we had one gal, she sang out there from the Hunchback of Notre Dame. We had another guy sing uh, Be a Man. And like the entire audience was like clapping and singing along. That's great. Be a man. man. Uh, And, you know, I sang Poisoning Pigeons in the Park and Mm. a couple of other songs I really love. Mm. So it was the first time actually since moving here that Mm. I've had an opportunity to perform and feel like I was performing for the joy of it, not in an audition setting. Right. Even when I've been performing in cabarets before, it has felt like, A, who's watching? B, who can I like record and send this to so yeah. that I can use it as material? Yeah. This was just for fucking fun. Yeah. So someone was singing. I think she was actually singing out there. And she went up on the lyrics. She was like, uh, oh, right. And then the MC ran up on stage with a guy who held a puppet. And they started singing this like off-brand <laughs> Avenue Q song. <laughs> That's like, we're out in Astoria. No one's coming for you. (laughs) And they had this big, giant cardboard piece of paper that said, Telsey Watch, week 17. 
And the MC was like, just to remind you all, Telsey isn't coming. It's not coming. No one is coming to see you. <laughs> this is not casting directors. This is not like, just have fun, please. Yeah. So that was really refreshing. I kind of um, love that. I'm glad because like you said, you, you haven't done that while we've lived here. And no. So it's nice to have those environments where you can feel like you can, you can experiment, you can take it there and you can... You can fail in a really safe space, but also entertain at the same time mm-hmm. and have fun right. in what you do. Speaking of experimenting. Speaking of. Speaking of where, how do we get this? Uh, uh, because sometimes New York can be a bit of a circus. Speaking of circuses. There you go. Well done. We watched. It. It. <laughs> it. 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 We watched it. It. <laughs> uh yeah we watched it yeah uh based on the novel by stephen king of the same name uh novel came out in 1985 we did a little bit of a unique spin on this in that we have both seen the new version the 2017 version of it uh i've seen it i think once more than megan but we both saw it in the theater but she had never seen the old version she never seen the 1990 miniseries with Tim Curry. And so we watched that last night, but we only watched chapter one because chapter one is the only version that's out right now. So what we did for today's episode, we're going to review them side by side, essentially. We're going to review the 1990 It as well as the 2017 chapter one and just see how they kind of measure up, stack up to see if the effects hold up, those kinds of things. I like the theater version more, the theatrical version. Oh, so you like the 2017 version and yes. not the 1990. Much, much more. I don't know. I mean, I I really liked the 2017 version, but I have like I have my bones to pick with it. Well, right, and I remember you said that one thing that you felt was really prevalent in yeah. this is the less is more. The less is... is more because the miniseries especially, of course, it was made for TV. So you have to keep it sort of PG rated and there's only you can only go so far. Well, and it was it was made in when when was it made? So the well, the novel came out in 85 and right. the miniseries came, it was filmed in 89 and released in 1990. Oh, so okay. this is almost 30 years old. Wow. And which is some, which is actually a cycle that will tie in a little bit more to the story. Uh, but again, like there's only so much you can do on TV, especially when you're taking a 1200 page novel right. that is very graphic, very violent, very scary, but also very funny and touching. And mm-hmm. one of the things that King does so well is write childhood. Stay, stay here. Whoa, 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 whoa. What if her dad comes back? Do what you always do. Start talking. It is a gift very well the Mm -hmm. nature of and the story and the nature of what it is to be a child and so what we're going to be referring to here today is again just chapter one of both the miniseries and because that's all i've seen and i even tried reading uh the book and i couldn't read it yeah (laughs) because reading it at night was too scary it's terrifying so i only was able to get through a couple of the introductions of the adult characters yeah which is covered in the miniseries they don't do that in the uh the theatrical version right right but um very scary novel yeah um and it's one that i keep coming back to time and again and i'll get into why here in just a minute but um it's kind of hard to find a summary so i think i'll just do the summary for the 2017 version okay per imdb in the summer of 1989 a group of bullied kids band together to destroy a shape-shifting monster which disguises itself as a clown and preys on the children of Derry, their small main town perfect 
Essentially. Yeah. I feel like it goes much deeper than that. It does. But if you're going to boil it down <clears throat> to something very simple, that, right. that's about right. Right. So that being said, let's let's reference the 1990 version first, the miniseries that we watched last night. Because okay. I, like, I feel like that might be a little bit more fresh. Sure. Fresh in your brain. Um, so the difference between the 1990 version and the newer one is that the 1990 miniseries is set in the 1950s, just like the novel. So it's set in the in the 50s with the adults being alive in 1989, right. essentially. So you have this small New England town that is essentially being haunted by a monster. Hi, Georgie. What we come to find out is that the monster has always been there. It's essentially a part of the town's genetics. It's like, like it's like basically that the town, it's not like your apartment is haunted or this building is haunted. Yeah. It's literally that the lifeblood of the of town dairy. is haunted right. by an evil force. By Pennywise. Yeah. So you have this really great opening, in my opinion. And again, you have to think about, wow, it's 1990. It's a TV movie. How far can they push the envelope? Right. And it's been it was directed by Tommy Lee Wallace. For those of you who don't know who Tommy Lee Wallace is, he is one of John Carpenter's protégés. John Carpenter was the director of the original Halloween in 1977. Mm. And interestingly enough, this weekend is when the direct sequel to Halloween comes out with Jamie Lee Curtis. Really? So it's the same weekend. Uh, comes out today, I think. So John Carpenter directed the original Halloween. But Tommy Lee Wallace worked with John Carpenter on the production side of things. So mm -hmm. he was one of Carpenter's protégés. So this movie, this miniseries was his first, like it was his directorial debut. Mm -hmm. So we really wanted to get it right. And I think you can see a lot of Carpenter's influence in Tommy Lee Wallace's style. Like you mentioned, the kind of less is more style. So you have this opening in the mini in the miniseries mm -hmm. set in 1990. Mm -hmm. In Derry, you have this little girl riding her tricycle outside. That's right. And the mom's like, oh, storm's coming in, honey, you need to come inside. And then she's taking her bike to the house and she hears this little giggle, you know, and she looks over to the clothesline and she sees like flashes of Tim Curry as Pennywise, like flashing out at her. And he's like, hi, you know, waving at her and stuff. And she's just stuck, you know, because she doesn't really know what she's seeing. Right. She's almost like frozen halfway between fear and curiosity. Exactly. And you have these little glimpses. And then all you all you see, you see the girl just frozen and from from. Pennywise's POV, you see the camera rush towards the girl, right. fade to black, right. and that's it. I think it's a really effective opening in the sense like you leave the tricycle wheel spinning. Well, it's the same idea and the same principle as what they use in Jaws. In Jaws. It's like yeah. they just, they leave it to the audience to like almost make themselves more scared. Right. You see just a little tiny bit of mm -hmm. the monster. So you have this supernatural force established. You see the monster more or less, and now you start getting into some of these main characters you're introduced to mike hanlon who was one of the kids who stayed behind and now he realizes for sure that this monster that they thought they had defeated in their childhood has returned right and so now mike has to call his six friends back to Derry so they can fight pennywise and defeat it for good and so the big difference here which i thought was just an interesting way mm -hmm. of Again, just knowing that you have read this book so many times, Lots you've listened times. to the audiobook so many times. And like you said, this is just a different interpretation and a different medium of telling yeah. this story, yeah. whether it be a theatrical release or a miniseries for mm. TV. Like the, what they did for this was they covered it kind of the same way that the book does, where yeah. it's like you go to each one of the adults and then they are told, hey, 
this it's evil back. force has come back. Right. And they're kind of uh, put into this sudden spin where they just remember everything that right. happened. It's almost like they had somehow or another, you know, left dairy and then all of those memories melted away right. Right. and were put away in their brains. And then as soon as they hear his voice yeah. and saying it's come back, like all of a sudden that box is just broken right, open. Right. And, and the, I, it's just a, a really interesting way of telling it. Yeah, I think so too. So when you have, again, a TV movie like this, you have the teleplay because it's a TV movie. It's not a screenplay. It's a teleplay. That's why it's called a teleplay. I don't, I don't, I didn't know um, that. So it's written by uh, Lawrence D. Cohen and Tommy Lee Wallace, who also directed it. You have seven main characters plus the antagonist, Pennywise. I, Georgie, am Pennywise the Dancing Clown. Right. Plus all the other side characters. How do you get all of that in when it's only a four-hour miniseries total with commercial breaks? Jesus. So what they did was break it down, like you said, in the book where you spend one chapter per character. Mm -hmm. So first we get we get Bill, cut to commercial. Then we get Ben, cut to commercial, Beverly, so on and so forth. So it was actually a really clever way to take a 1,200-page novel and really just introduce you to each one of the lucky seven one at a time while progressing the overall story forward into a final confrontation because mm -hmm. night one has to be the kid's half and then night two is the adults. And right, so that's, you have and to that's get how it everything was in. in the theatrical version. It's all them as youngsters. Right. There is no illusion or anything yeah. to them being adults. Like someone could see the first it and not have known anything about it beforehand. Yeah. And you could literally cut off. You could literally cut off that part at the end where it says it will return part two or something. Yeah, and, and someone could think that oh, that's the end of the movie. They right. got they got out and they survived. Like that, that's one thing I really liked about the 2017 version is mm -hmm. when it ended, it said it chapter one. Right. So it didn't say to be continued. It didn't say oh, the losers will return or whatever. You just knew that there was another half mm -hmm. to tell, and. Based on my research, I don't know if the studio really knew that they were going to do a part two because they didn't know. Oh, really? They didn't know how much of a success it was going to be. Oh. Because the original version, if you remember, was supposed to be directed by Kerry Fukunaga. Right. Who directed the first season of True Detective, who directed right. Beasts of No Nation, who now directed the new series uh, Maniac on Netflix. He had a very specific and, to be honest, a bit of a different version than what Andy Muschietti ended up with. Mm-hmm. Um, the original script is actually online, and it is terrifying. The studio wanted something a little more streamlined. Sure, which again, that I, <clears throat> from watching the miniseries, the part one, right, last night, and then watching uh, the theatrical release from 2017. Yeah, I had mentioned that I like the theatrical release more, but then you pointed out, yeah, but think about how there's so much CG everywhere in yeah. the 2017, yeah. and it's it's, it's as not the less as more. Be. Yeah, it's as minimalist as it can be. But right. with that said, I mean, there's there's all these jump scares. There's all these different tons of jump. Like, oh my Too gosh. many jump scares in the new one. Just a bunch of them, yeah. which again plays into the what audiences are expecting sure, now. Sure. I so, will give it I will give them props for giving it an R rating. Beep beep pretty. Yes. They did go pretty far with some of the the uh the scenes and some mm -hmm. of the goings on, which I appreciated because the book is very graphic. Yeah. You know. So they giving it an R rating gave them the ability to go the distance. But as I'm rewatching the nineties version last night, I'm like, wow, like to me this is a little bit more disturbing in the sense that you have all, you start meeting all these kids one at a time. The pivotal scene of Georgie meeting Pennywise in the sewer is more or less shot the same way. You are Georgie. 
Pennywise? Yes, me Georgie. Georgie, meet Pennywise. So now we know each other. Now we aren't strangers. Yeah. The only difference between the two is that you don't see Georgie either die or get taken by Pennywise. Right. Because in the new version, you're not really sure if Georgie dies because Bill is on the hunt for his brother. Yeah. So, yeah, like Georgie gets his arm bitten off, but like, oh, Pennywise took him, but is he really dead? That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And you don't really learn that until the end. Right. So in this version, um, both of those scenes were shot pretty much the same. The mm -hmm. 2017 version is, of course, much more violent. Yeah. But it's interesting to see how differently Tim Curry played Pennywise compared to Bill Skarsgård. One thing I did appreciate, <laughs> though, like looking between the two and seeing there was one really specific thing, and I don't know if this is in the book, mm. but in both the miniseries and the theatrical release, when Pennywise rears his head back and opens his mouth, yeah. the teeth were exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, Those more Those pointed less. teeth, and it was that monster teeth. It wasn't like a completely different take on that. Like that was very much true to right. whatever the essence was of this original story. And I feel like all of us were expecting that in the novel. It doesn't say that Georgie's arm was bitten off. It's actually what in, and in Fukunaga's original script, it's a very elemental take. You see Georgie being pulled into the sewer his head is like being whacked against the curb. His body's like sloshing. Oh my because God. Because Pennywise is trying to, to pull, pull him, him in. in. And in the book, that's what happens. Like he's like trying to keep his head above all the rushing water to right. scream. And in the book, he pulls his arm off yeah. instead of biting it off. Right. So it was, it was interesting to see the parallels of what they kept, what they changed. Yeah. They, if Carrie Fukunaga is still credited as one of the writers, uh -huh. which is cool because yeah. they actually ended up using a lot of the elements that, he wrote in his original screenplay. God, this is the stuff of my <clears throat> nightmares. Yeah, like this is seriously. the stuff that, ugh. but it's, it's just, it's a really good story. Of yeah. course. So, so <clears throat> moving forward. Yeah. Uh, so we, so we see all the different characters. Yeah. We meet all of them uh, in their adult lives. Yeah. And then we then go into kind of how they all came together one by one. Yeah. Individual in their... flashbacks mixed in with how they all came together. Right. Yeah. And sort of creating that <coughs> that through line of how they all came to know each other and how they all experienced it. Right. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, it was, again, I still really like the theatrical version more and I can't put my finger on why, hmm. but I very much did. I think like also too, one thing that was really interesting to me was Tim Curry's take on sure, Pennywise. Sure. Because Skarsgård, and I think maybe this is one, I liked Skarsgård's interpretation of this more. Mm. Um, it really it really is like this creature kind of figuring out how to uh, coerce children into his lair or how to scare, like it's learning as it's going. And not only that, like, and they touch on this in the novel, you have something that has to take a physical form. Skarsgård, and I think you're right, Skarsgård was able to physicalize some of the the internal monster-isms yeah. that come out. Like in that first scene where he meets Georgie, he, they like start like, <laughs> like laughing together. Right. And then he just stops. Dead eyes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And Jordy's like, uh, uh. <laughs> the fact that you're talking to a clown on a sewer drain, let alone is freaky, but yeah. like Skarsgård brought this almost animalistic element, which I really, Pennywise, which I really I liked. liked. <clears throat> and I didn't like Tim Curry's as much because it was like an angry Brooklyn taxi driver became a clown. The way I, the way I compare it actually is like you compare Jack Nicholson's Joker to Heath Ledger's Joker. Yes. Jack Nicholson was kind of the, the scary, That's boisterous, boisterous kind of crazy uncle, yes. you know, like, oh, I'm the Joker. That kind right. of thing. I, d I don't think anyone else could have played the part 
Curry did a great job for this vision, mm-hmm. this this TV miniseries of it. Mm-hmm. But when you're going to take it to an R-rated level, then you can get really deep as far as developing the character. But then you get this this remake 27 years later, and you're like, oh, this is like this is like the novel come to life, mm-hmm. you know? And so. like, and some of the things that like were different, for example, were uh, in the theatrical version is how the different kids meet it and yeah, how it Pennywise. begins to uh, create fear and, yeah. and make itself known. Yeah. So like, for example, what was the kid's name that in the movie, mm. uh, in the theatrical version, it's the painting, but oh, Stan. Yeah. But yeah. in the miniseries, what was it that he, instead of it being a, scary ass painting so it was... stan didn't really have an episode as far as the miniseries oh, is concerned. his episode was the 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 confrontation in the sewer yeah and you can see on his face when pennywise has him up against the wall and is right. about to eat his face off that's when he kind of starts breaking a little bit yeah so stanley didn't really get his own kind of and then too what was switched <laughs> was um the kid the black kid yeah mike mike versus the the chubby kid Right, Ben. Ben. So they also had different experiences. Like yeah. in the theatrical version, Ben is the one who is more steeped in the history of the town because right. he moves around a lot, so he wants to learn everything he can. Right. And that was the and he's creepy. Also alone a lot. Right. And right. that was the creepy Easter egg hunt. Right. And then in this, it was something totally different. I, yeah. I can't remember what it was. So for Ben, it was Ben seeing his father out. In the that's barons, right out, saying out come on this is where i live now yeah yeah like come and come and be with me you'll never have to grow up and then he transforms it into pennywise right so in the in the 50s miniseries and in the book the sort of overhanging racism especially with everything happening socially in the nation this mm. is in the 50s it's sort of pre-martin luther king but being black in this small new england town made mike the outcast I when you see. set that in the 1980s it's not as powerful because we're past you know the civil rights movement we're we're past a lot of that stuff not to say racism is dead because it's not mm-hmm. it's very much alive mm-hmm. um but it didn't have the same ring to it i felt like mike in the 2017 version had nothing to do yeah that's something you mentioned this, it was this just one character like, just yeah. had nothing to do and they gave ben too much they made ben the chubby kid and the also one that's part of the, also love the historian and the, and yes. the historian. So yeah. they gave one character way too much. Yeah. So and not to say he's like a bad actor or anything, but as far as like a screenplay, I would have made that a little bit more true to the book. Give Mike Hanlon something to do. And then another thing, too, and we talked about this and this is actually something we kind of got deep into last night was yeah. something that they didn't. And I can understand why they didn't put in the TV series was the fact that Beverly was molested by her father. Yeah, that's something they didn't touch on at all, yeah. which again, physically abused. I, yeah, can't they, yeah she was like you know slapped and she'd been whipped obviously yeah, yeah. but there was nothing about you know sexual molestation right. uh which they actually did touch on in the movie and i think that was uh barbara muschietti who is the producer on the new movies hi barb if you're listening um <laughs> I, I messaged her i'm like hey we're reviewing both of the movies right um i think that's something she really fought for and pulled for as far as the screenplay was concerned they really wanted beverly to be very fleshed out and very Mm, real mm -hmm. and to especially now that she's being played by jessica chastain in the new movie that you know we we really want to give this character some history have her be grounded but also very scarred and you know have these things have an impression on her as she moves into her adulthood Mm -hmm. and i'm really curious to see how they interpret beverly in 2018 which also 
Total side note, I don't know about you, but I can't tell you how many times me and my friends have gotten together to just make a dam. That's my favorite childhood pastime. This is back when kids went and played this outside. Is, I know, uh, but why are they making a dam? Like, I don't understand what the incentive was. Well, in the was. book, Ben stumbles upon Bill and Eddie, who are down in the Barrens. Right. Bill and Eddie are trying to make a dam, but they're doing it horribly. Why are they making it, though? Because, because Just because, because kids. Because, okay. because right. kids right. and water and stuff to do and boys and projects and shit right. like that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, like, again, the remake for me is like a solid, like, 7.5 out of 10. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a good thing because i didn't really know what to expect it's not a remake of the 1990 version no it's, it's a its retelling of the novel yeah. itself yeah and i'm glad to see that it's being taken so seriously i had a lot of fun with the 2017 version but i watched the miniseries when i was eight years old for the first time i was at a very impressionable oh age. yeah i feel like i watched it over, over my younger. friend's house in the daytime forget it and i was fucking terrified forget it terrified it's so like it's, it's one of those movies that's to everyone knows the sewer scene with georgie yes everybody knows yeah that, that pivotal scene but then know? the stuff like for example when he's going to take a shower mm. uh what which kid eddie. is that eddie the germaphobe he's yeah. going to take a shower and then just all of a sudden all of the shower heads they become turn like on. seven feet long and, and they start, start coming out of the wall out of again the wall. like you have these really simplistic special effects right in tommy lee wallace's version right that are like minimalist they're not too expensive and they actually work and that actually reminded me a little bit of what we had talked about with the birds yeah. where it's like they they only had so much to work with yeah. granted they're not punching seagulls through a window <laughs> but they they did what they did have to work with. They were incredibly inventive about. Yeah. Or for example, the deadlights that you talked about. Yeah, like yeah. they just put this kid right on top of because it essentially looks like this kid has been broken in half and, then and is being into pulled a into a tube in the sewers. Yeah. And like they basically just had this kid lay over half of a mannequin to Stubby's, look like he'd yeah. been split in half. Yeah. And just broken and, and pulled backwards. in half yeah. backwards. Yeah. It was amazing. And it looked really good. It did. It looked great. <laughs> Although here's something though. Um, the bad guy. Kid Kid, Harry Henry Henry ba- Bowers Bowers yeah. Henry which also I don't know if you did this but in middle school and in high school I always first and last named kids uh. it was Katie Corrigan oh Megan Heffernan no no, no, we always and we did that in high school, too. And really? I feel like that's something and it's like, oh, it's not just like, oh, that's Henry. It's like, oh, my God, it's Henry Bowers. Like, huh. and then as soon as you're done with high school, you never do that again. I had a very different high school experience. You <laughs> I did. There were five people in my graduating class. So you didn't you really have to memorize names. Part of like a coven or something. Essentially, yeah, <laughs> it's like a group homeschool. Right. <laughs> right. So. But um, so but that stuff was really, really interesting to right. see what they were able to do and yeah. i think that's the thing as a kid mm. watching that they make it so realistic yeah like the thought of something of a shower head extending further on and seeing that it's actually physically being done yeah like that's terrifying and again in the novel they go into the specifics of what fear is between kids and adults how mm-hmm. kids interpret fear and, and what adults are afraid of. Mm-hmm. They're two totally different things. Yeah. Like kids can imagine anything. Oh, not, yeah. not to say adults can't, but again, like the older we get, the more diffuse our few, our fears get. Like mm-hmm. we start worrying about health insurance and, you know, oh, I need to go get groceries or, or I don't know. Like, oh, you're my, not worried my wife's going to die on a plane crash. Right. Or you're some not worried like about that. the monster under the bed because exactly. you don't have time for that shit anymore. Secure in belief and thus afraid of the dark. There you go. Which is, is something that always radiates with me because I think as artists, maybe even as actors, 
we're constantly trying to get back to that place mm-hmm. because children act on intuition a huge percent of the time. So as actors, we're trying to constantly to come back to what is it to just believe? What is it to just, to just be play. a child and to just play yeah. and to have no wrong answers mm-hmm. and to just maybe step into something and not realize it until five seconds afterwards? Which actually, that was something that I truly, I think I missed uh, is that nowadays I feel like actors are required to go to such a raw place sure. and are required to be so unspeakably honest mm-hmm. that this acting in this just fell totally flat for me. Me. I mm. cannot think of a better word for it. Mm. It's, it just fell flat. It yeah. felt very two-dimensional. Was that due to the writing or? I don't know. I think it was due to the actors. I oh, really okay. do. I feel like, and again, a different time. I don't know. But it was just, it was hard to see these people as fleshed out people. It's like one of those murder in a box for a dinner evening things. Yeah. Like yeah. It's like, you're just going to play like the, the high school play. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. just, I don't know. I just didn't. I didn't like them. I sure. didn't I didn't feel like their performances were very honest. Yeah. Yeah. And and to give them credit, they really had to hammer through a lot of their lines because they were under like time deadline. Mm. There's that scene where they're all sitting on the tractor and they're all talking about, oh, maybe the monster is this and like, oh, that happened to this kid. And but it was a werewolf for me, but it was a clown for you. Yeah. And they go to all these different shots and you can just hear them kind of hammering through these lines. That setting was improvised because they were running out of daylight and they had to get all this fucking dialogue in. Really? So yeah, they're like, everyone go sit on that tractor and we're going to just, we're going to fucking wildline all of your stuff one setup at a time and then get out of here. Wow. So they were under a huge time and budget constraints. So part of me gets it. I'm yeah. like, I can kind of give you a pass because Jonathan Brandis, who plays the young Bill Dembro, very established actor. Yeah. Seth Green, who plays Richie Tozier, yeah, you know, who's I still working today. Yeah, I didn't like him. Yeah, I didn't like him. Right. And I'm not I'm not crazy about their acting either. And I didn't like the, the adults time, either. The adults felt flat for me which too. Which sucks because you have like the pantheon of American television actors. Yeah. You have Richard Thomas and Annette O'Toole and John Ritter. I don't think they were able to go as deep because of of the budget and time constraints mm-hmm. and you can only go so far in a TV movie. So well, I don't necessarily hold that. And that two, and this is something I was going to ask you about specifically for the difference between, I mean, we'll see what happens with the theatrical part two yeah, thing with it, yeah. with the adults that they've cast, which are some amazing Holy powerhouse shit. actors. You have Bill Hader yeah. as Richie. You have fucking, again, Jessica Chastain as Beverly. Mm-hmm. Uh, just an insane cast of people. So something that you mentioned about like the book is that so that even though Derry has this evil essence to it right it's somehow or another given these lucky seven Mm -hmm. a power to accomplish insane things yes like be you know be on time magazine to be rich beyond their wildest dreams to have their own company like they have these insane lives success lives adults yeah but they're also it's like the evil has granted them all of this Mm. and i was under the impression that their lives are so wonderful and great and they're really happy and then all of a sudden when the call comes the other shoe drops and then they remember everything which is in this though what i saw is that they were actually kind of all assholes and they were pretty much unhappy with their lives even though they had everything i feel like the latter is a little bit more true in the sense that and that's kind of the bummer about stan not really getting his moment in the sun Mm. you see richard basur as the grown-up stan at the end which one is stan stan is the the jewish kid okay so uh spoilers oh okay in the in the the miniseries and in the book stan commits suicide right that's how part one ends right but with with stanley in the book he's the first adult that you meet Mm -hmm. and so 
it, they go into his whole story of like, oh, he's a successful accountant in Atlanta. He's super rich. And I don't know if you noticed the art decor inside of his house. It was bonkers. Super fucking weird. Yeah. Which I really liked. It was Because really that tells weird. me of like a weird, upset psychological just state. something. You know, something's off. He connected something with those things. Something is just a little yeah. off. And even in the novel, they they talk about them not being able to get pregnant. Stan. Oh, Stan, oh that's right. And they talked about that where they're like, when are we going to have grandchildren? Right. Something in my life is off. I don't know what it is, okay. but I know that it's me Yeah, and I don't remember what it is. And what it is, is this past experience. Right. So Which to, they've pushed out. Exactly. To, to wrap, to wrap it up, I suppose what, what always gravitates for me is that this story again, doesn't necessarily have to do with seven kids fighting a clown. It has to do with trauma. Mm -hmm. It has to do with the scars that are left from the trauma inflicted on us as we're children, by adults, by outside circumstances, by things that are put on us, mm -hmm. we carry those things out into the world, into our adulthood. But at some point, that same thing is going to call you home and you have to fucking deal with it. Well, it's like what we talked about last night. Yeah. With, so Lady Gaga was on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Yeah. And she was talking about... Um, you know, her, her movie, which just came out, mm -hmm. which was a star is born. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think they were actually talking about the song shallow specifically mm -hmm. and how it's so easy to just play to the shallow things in our lives, the materialistic things in our lives to focus on what we look like versus what is within us. Sure. And she said, you know, look, hearing all these things that are going on with Kavanaugh, it's incredibly upsetting as a person who is a survivor of sexual assault. Yeah. And she mentioned that when you deal with trauma, you mm -hmm. literally put that experience into a box and you lock it away mm -hmm. so that you can survive. Yeah. And that Dr. Ford saw that Brett Kavanaugh was going to potentially be elected to the highest highest court on the land. Court in the land. <laughs> and something that was literally her phone call. Yeah. From Mike saying, I have to make sure people know it has come back. Yeah, this has we, come back. We need to do something. Yeah. And it woke her up. Yeah. And so she knew that she had to do something. I imagine, even to all our listeners, that there are a lot of people in your life who have been traumatized in the same way that you don't know about it. Have any of them talked to you about this kind of thing? Of course they haven't. No. Because the whole argument for, I guess, the right side has been like, oh, well, why didn't you mention this sooner? 30 plus years later, I'm like, because. You nothing have to would survive. have been done. You you have to survive and, and nothing plus, would have been done. She probably would have been blamed. Right. You know, and, and often, there are still people <laughs> nowadays that are saying that like, what was the NPR thing that you heard where two women waitresses have dealt with the same kind of issues yeah. of being groped and, you know, yeah, harassed yeah. and one's things like that. One's a Democrat, one's a Republican. And the Republican was like, oh, it happens. You no, know, it I've, happens. You know, I've survived from I've sexual survived. assault. So you just you deal just with deal it. With it. You know? No, it's like, what the what the fuck is wrong with Which, you? Which, I mean, that is one way to... But that's another thing, too, is that some people may not realize that they are survivors of trauma. It's true. Because they don't know that what they've been through is harassment is or is an allegation right. or is something. And maybe it was played off in a way that made it seem like, oh, this was actually your fault right. or, oh, this was nothing. You exactly. Know, that kind of Which, so, that's what parents do. Yeah. Two children. And yeah. you saw this repeatedly. That was one thing I did really like yeah. about this yeah. was that specifically when something happened, like the blood coming out of the photo album yeah. or the blood coming, coming out, out of, of the, sink. the sink or things like that, the parents would literally touch the blood, but they didn't see have it. it all over them and they didn't see they didn't it. And they're like, what's wrong with you? So that is what keeps drawing me back to the story. That I think is the deeper story that King was trying to tell is the story of trauma as a child and what you carry into your adulthood with you. Right. And then you have to come back 
and deal with it. So this is, you know, it's a scary movie. It's a scary movie sure. because there's also a monster. Right. Know. There's a monster and it's terrifying. <laughs> and But even the monster is, is a representation of the psychological right. trauma. It's not like Jeepers Creepers where it's <clears throat> like, we're just going to make you scared to be scared because right. it's being scared right. of being scared. There's There are a few elements in the new movie that sort of allude to that because, again, there's a lot of jump scares in the 2017 version. I feel like there could have been less. But at the same time, it was made with such care. It really Andy was. Muschietti directed that. You feel like it's actually shot through the lens of a child. There is so much appreciation mm. for what it is to be a child mm-hmm. in the 1980s, which mm-hmm. you and I know. Um, <laughs> you have kids out riding bikes 80, and they're, kids they're, from the 80s remember everything they remember things that haven't happened <laughs> things that never happened you got new kids on the block posters they you remember got everything Walkmans, you got kids riding bikes and like getting messy and yeah. doing their thing and so it's shot with such passion that you can't help but really go along for the ride the way i describe the new it movie again which i love is it's a mixture of the goonies meets nightmare on elm street yes with that a little bit of more with a little yeah. bit of tim burton you know because i know there are a lot of people out there that don't like scary movies yeah. and yeah. i honestly i'm one of those people Megan hates scary movies. i hate scary movies yeah. i don't like to be scared yeah. that, and i remember don't... talking to you about like oh baby you have to come and see this movie right and you're like okay i'll go and see it because you really like it but yeah you kind like, of no, took no, me kicking and screaming but yeah. it was i actually there's one point in the new in the theatrical release where pennywise literally jumbo sizes himself and literally half of his body falls out of a wall and he's got this huge grin on his face and then he starts going after Beverly, but he does it in time with the music of what's happening around them. And he's like almost step dancing as he's going to attack her. Yeah, It's the biggest grin on my face. Like it was just so, uh, yeah, like you said, it was 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 fun. Such care was taken in in telling this story in the theatrical way. Yeah, Um, And I think maybe that's again, I don't know. It, that's just what I missed was just this, I don't know, deeper element that they couldn't do for TV. Right. They couldn't right. do that. And that's kind of what I'm afraid of. Even for you watching the second half of the miniseries and even for the movie coming out next year, I'm mm-hmm. like, there is something elemental that is lost when you go tell the adult story because you lose, I think, a little bit of the magic mm-hmm. of being a kid. Right. You lose a little bit of that innocence. So I then, think. So then the real trick then yeah. is instead of like in the first part for this where it was flashing back to being a kid. Yeah. And but mostly living and being a kid hmm. because you're living in the flashback. Instead, the challenge for the second part of it from the 2017 w- would be the 2018. 2019, yeah. 2019. Yeah. Uh, is to live in the present, but then keep those flashbacks to being a child. There are definitely going to be flashbacks. Like yeah. there are production stills, behind the scenes shots that have been released where you have some of the child actors returning. Right. So you're going to see that's crucial. visions of the kids because right. you have to, because they're coming back to their hometown and yeah. seeing themselves as they used to be. Yeah. As if and any of us go back home mm-hmm. to where, to our used to be, mm-hmm. you see the ghost of yourself. Right. right? So. Exactly. Shall we hop into trivia? Let's do trivia. Let's jump in and cue trivia music. Uh, so there were a handful of other actors set to uh, play Pennywise before Tim Curry accepted the role. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to list them off. Uh, <laughs> Roddy, Roddy McDowell, as well as Malcolm McDowell. Malcolm McDowell, of course, from Clockwork Orange. Um, I haven't seen it. And uh, gotta watch Clockwork Orange. But also Alice Cooper was slated to really <laughs> was oh, was I, oh, that would have been really that interesting. Been right? So cool. Uh, 
So the miniseries itself was originally going to be 10 hours instead of four. Jesus. And directed by George Romero, who is the director of Night of the Living Dead. Oh, wow. But unfortunately, George Romero was pulled away to remake Night of the Living Dead. But he'd already done like years of pre-production. Uh-huh. And then they had to hand it off to somebody else, which is when Tommy Lee Wallace was able to oh step my in. God. But it was originally a 10-hour miniseries. And I can Jesus. only imagine what they would have been able to do with that much time. But still, it would have been PG. It w- so. Yeah, that's the thing is that unless it's right. an R rating, you're not going to do it justice. Interestingly enough, uh, filmed in Westminster, B.C., British Columbia. Because I asked you that. In 1989, same year that Bill Skarsgård was born. You find a lot of these. Some things are meant A lot to of these, be. again, and the, the theatrical release came out 28 years past, or 27 to 28 years after the original, uh-huh. which is the cycle of sleep that Pennywise takes. No. I swear to God. Yeah. No. Yeah. So I, I, I just love shit uh, like that. You know, that's, Guess how much screen time Tim Curry has, including in the adult side. How much time? 20 do, minutes. Dead, you're dead on. <gasps> Less than 20 minutes, actually. What? Less than 20 minutes. But again, like the old adage of if you cast your villain well, yeah. you know, and he's he just he just hasn't. That presence much. will remain whether he's on screen or not. Exactly. Um, Jonathan Brandis, who plays the young Bill Denbro in the 90s version, he and Seth Green were both in this movie. Jonathan Brandis was in a show called Sequest. Did you ever watch Sequest? No. With Roy Scheider? No. It was an okay show. But Seth Green was actually on the show a couple of times, mm-hmm. so they got to reunite. And Seth Green's nickname in the show was Wolfman. Oh. Did and they have Roy Scheider's Scheider? <laughs> they did not have Roy Scheider's Scheider. Have a glosh. Have a glosh. The newer version, the 2017 theatrical release, just a couple little tidbits. How much... <laughs> How many minutes of dialogue do you think Bill Skarsgård has in the new movie? Like barely five to ten minutes. It doesn't seem like he has... Four minutes. <laughs> you don't really see Pennywise too much in the no. new version, which I, which I kind of pre- like. Again, that presence is it's so felt. crucial. It's felt, you know. Um, the It was shipped to theaters under the name Pound Foolish on the label. Yeah. Because if you think of Pennywise... You take uh-huh. it the reverse and you go pound foolish instead of Pennywise. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and they so they silly. actually listed the other actor who was down. It was down to this actor and Bill Skarsgård to play Pennywise. <gasps> who was the other one? It was Agent Smith. Oh, Lord Elrond himself. Yeah. Hugo Weaving. The reason they went with Skarsgård is because Skarsgård was more playful. Sort of jumping yeah. into what you were saying, the childlike glee that Bill Skarsgård found yes. with this version of Pennywise, which I loved. It's so important. So that's really all I have for trivia. Okay. So to wrap it up, for <sighs> this me, this is a rough episode. Is I a feel rough like. episode? Well, just there was well, so much to cover. I know. This is such, such a great story, you guys. And Whatever thankfully, way, we'll be back. We'll be back yeah. for, for part two of both. Um, and like Megan said, whatever way you can see the both the miniseries and the new movie, I say watch both. If you can't, if you're a person like me and you don't like scary movies, like yeah. definitely like watch during the daytime. But I feel like the theatrical release is more. There's more texture to it, but yeah. I feel like the TV miniseries is easier to swallow because it's not as intense. I feel like they both have their strengths. They're two totally different visions. Exactly. I don't think one is actually greater than the other. They're just different. Right. So read the novel if you can. If you have you know. 47 hours to spare it's on audible as well narrated by Stephen Weber which is very good just it's a good story and good stories constantly pull us back so go experience it for yourself truly Um, thank you to anchor FM for letting us in their podcast lab subscribe to us share with your friends 
wherever you download your podcasts, uh, Spotify, you all know, that stuff. All you, that know, stuff. you know where to stuff. find podcasts. And we will, uh, we don't really know what we're doing next, actually. No, we haven't decided. So we'll have to discuss that. And uh, we'll be back here in a couple of weeks. Thanks, that's Megan. That's it, yeah. Thanks for watching ben, with me. thank you. Shucks. You finally <laughs> saw the original It. So I did. I'm just glad we found a scary movie you like. And we'll be back, <laughs> thankfully, after after part two is released in theaters. I think yeah. once we see that, we'll go back and watch the miniseries. I agree. I think that's kind of a review. fun way of doing that. Yeah, because like it'll, so it'll be in October. from now. It'll be in October. That's so perfect. It'll be good. So thanks, guys. Um, thanks for listening, and we will see you in a couple of weeks. Bye. Bye.